this gives me such joy to say these words, but welcome back to Inside the Hive. I am Emily Jade Fox. I'm here with my co-host, really the the anchor here, Joe Hagen. Hi. Hey. I'm so happy to Good see you. Good to see you. you are Good on, to hear you. You are on vacation. I am on maternity leave, so this feels like a perfect time to get to work. We're so committed that it doesn't really matter what's happening. You'd be getting your episode of Inside the Hive. You guys come first. A lot is going on in the world. I mean, uh, despite our attempts to put news into a, a box somewhere and forget about it while we have a pina colada on the beach or whatever we're going to do this summer. That may be uh, what you're it, doing. That is, I'm having different <laughs> kinds of, of bottles in this house. Indeed, you are a different cocktail. Yeah. Um, it's so lovely to have you back here in Touch Base, and uh, we're going to get into it. I have general senses of what's happening in the world. I have not completely shut out, and I talk to people who tell me what's going on in the world, but I do not open Twitter, I don't watch the news, and I have not read a newspaper. So am I the best podcast host, or am I the best podcast host? We're going to, you know what, you're going to tell us what's going on inside of Emily Jane's world, and then we're going to tell you what's going on in the outside world, and we're going to try to bridge the two. We can meet in the middle. I, but I do. Here's here's the real breakthrough. The two breakthrough things that get through this bubble are breakthrough COVID and the Olympics. So I feel like we have to talk about both of those things. Well, let's start with the fun stuff first, because okay. I'm an Olympics fan, and a lot of my friends though have mixed feelings about it. There's lots of feelings about the Olympics. How committed are you going to be to it? What's the sport that you can you like? Mm. And um, I personally, I don't even care. I could flip it on and they're doing like uh, artistic dance sequences. It's like basically they get in the swimming pool with groups. Synchronized and they do, swimming? It's synchronized swimming with, but you know, lots of, it's like a Vegas floor show, but put in the water and they're athletes of like the top level. I don't know why no one in my life has told me about this until you. This is why you're the MVP of my life. The fact that no one else has, has alerted me to this makes me feel like I should rid myself of everyone I know because I, I would love this and I don't know about it. You don't always see it in the main broadcast. I actually am so committed to finding it. I go on YouTube and look at it even after the fact. I feel like but there's, we should but, talk about that. But the Olympics is great and we have new things. There's skateboarding. You know, there's like 13-year-olds doing insane things on skateboards. Here's, here's what I have to say about the skateboarding and the 13-year-olds. And even gymnastics to a certain degree now. I don't know if it's because I'm old now or if I'm, I'm like true insta-mom. It's too nerve-wracking for me. These young children are flipping <laughs> on things that they shouldn't be flipping on. They're too skinny. The the <laughs> railings are too thin for them to be jumping on them. The balance beams, no one should should do flips on them. I can't I can barely watch it. It makes me too too nervous and I used to love it. You are a JR, uh your newborn. She's in for some, you know, uh, mom wringing her hands on the sidelines because, I'm gonna just yeah, it's be true. Sweating for the next, for the rest of my life, I guess. Just, <laughs> just gripping hand, nails, digging into palms of my hands, sweating for the rest of my life. Well, you don't have to watch skateboarding. There's the safer ones like swimming. Love swimming. I, you know, what I watched that I loved. I hear full disclosure. I think the Olympics are fine. You have mixed feelings. I, I can tell. I'm I don't have any feelings about the Olympics. That's sort of how I feel. Uh, my dad, my parents are here and they've been here for five weeks since the baby was born, which is amazing. And uh, my dad is 
an Olympic obsessive like you. And every time he comes to the house to see the baby, the Olympics are just immediately flipped on. So that's really kind of how I've been digesting this. Mm. Uh, and he left the other day and left the Olympics on. And I had a baby in my hands and didn't know where the remote was and kept it on. And I watched the mixed relay swimming. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. What a great, I love a mixed relay. I know that they have them in track too, which I, that is the only thing I really care about watching in the Olympics. Um, yeah. I just love a mixed relay. It's so fun. There's so much yes. strategy involved. Well, I love it when there are more than one person on the team and they've had to do something like synchronized diving, for yes. instance, you know, where you see, wow, they must have really had to get a mind meld going in order to know exactly what they're doing in every moment. Similar situation. Um, and you know, there's so much at stake for each player because you don't want to let your other teammate down. We feel that on inside the hive every week, you know, we're trying to, you know, we're doing our own kind of synchronized diving here. Olympic podcast. I get it. The Olympic podcasting. We, we, um, here's me, here's my problem with the Olympics coverage this time around. I have two, I have two problems. Sometimes when someone messes up in the Olympic games, they keep the camera on them for the remainder of the event. And that seems cruel to me. I don't need to see the Canadian diver who completely fucked up her dive, like just cry in the warming tub. That feels unnecessary. It hurts my heart. And then having to see Katie Ledecky give 45 interviews about whether or not she's going to take a rest or what she wants to do after a race, just let these athletes perform and don't make them do 45 interviews. I feel bad. Well, they've turned it into a docudrama. Yes. Right. The whole thing is sort of like, here's a little documentary about Caleb Dressel and he plays drums and he's very focused and you learn all these things about him and then you watch him in the pool. And, and I think on some level, people, they know that, Without all the sort of bells and whistles, watching a swimming contest would maybe be boring. Yes. Really, if you think about it. But um, but they have a little line that says world record and watch them chasing it. Yeah. So they Love add that. little bits, you know, and I, I like that, I'm going to say. But I'm I'm easy. I'm easy. Okay. I'm just going to admit I'm easy. Here's, I think this is a generational thing. Not you and I, because we are, I would say we're, we're generationally adjacent. You get all the actual meat from Instagram these days. These people don't have to be presented to you through NBC or Peacock anymore. Mm-hmm. And now you can actually get the real of who most of these people are if you just like looked on their Instagram. And I think that the uncurated, unbroadcast news version of these people is way more interesting. So I don't know. It doesn't do it for me anymore because I've been spoiled by the internet. I think that's fascinating because it is true that NBC's kind of framing and delivery of the whole thing is in the 20th century. It There's feels no like doubt yesteryear docudrama yeah. stuff. It's, it is. It's vintage. It's it a is. vintage way of, of doing it. Speaking of vintage ways of, of doing things, it feels like we are maybe inching back towards old COVID ways. Do you feel that over in, in your vacation land? Vintage COVID? Yes. Like uh, back in the masking days. Yes, exactly. The bad old masking days are returning. Yes, I am feeling that. Um, I'm on vacation in the, you know, the, the Cape area of Massachusetts where a lot of Northeastern people go. And the numbers are popping up here and there. And you're already 
seeing, you know, I will say that there's a grocery nearby, which I sometimes would ride my bicycle up to. Mm. Uh, it shut down the other day wow. because of an employee. You know, they were being extra sensitive, extra careful, but some employee got it and they shut the whole thing down. So there's really a sense that it's happening now, even across the way in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, Barack Obama was supposed to have his 60th birthday party this week. Were you invited? You know, let's just pretend I was because okay. he canceled everything and he made it just a friends and family thing. I'm not related to him. Not so yet. Uh, not yet. And I didn't get invited. So, uh, but every, the, you know, everybody's sensitivities and awarenesses are up. And in the states like Florida and in Texas, which have Republican governors, they're like freaking out because they have to... You know, it looked like they had succeeded for five minutes by being stubborn. And now they're blaming, uh, you know, Biden for letting illegal immigrants in as if it's illegal immigrants who are making the spike happen. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. I mean, it's an argument that that literally makes no sense, considering it is mainly Republicans who refuse to get vaccinated. So this Mm -hmm. is a problem of the unvaccinated and they're making it everybody's problem by just not getting a scientifically tested and proven shot in their arms the way that they do many vaccines in order to function as uh, normal human beings in 2021. It's such a shame. And we, we personally know a bunch of people who have gotten breakthrough COVID, people who are fully vaccinated, who have gotten sick um, to varying degrees, some who've gotten properly sick and some who have gotten a version of a small cold. Um, a couple of kids we know who have gotten breakthrough COVID. Um, and that's scary, particularly to this household. Um, I got vaccinated when I was pregnant and I'm breastfeeding our baby. And hopefully that means that the baby has some antibodies, but she's a five week old peanut. And that has really changed our behavior here. And, you know, obviously when you're in newborn land, you're not having a ton of people come by and hold the baby anyway, but no one is holding the baby and anybody who does come over and it really, it's few and far between the the people who do come over. We, they're all masked and we basically hold the baby up like Simba in the Lion King outside and then bring her right back inside. And she doesn't really have exposure to anybody. And that sucks. That's a sucky way to, to usher your child into the world. And I really thought that by the time she got here, we would, we would be in a different world. And, and honestly, when she did get here, it was a different world in the hospital at, at, when she was born at the end of June, the last day of June, um, I was allowed to have three people in the delivery room if I wanted, I did not want that, but I, I could have, and I was allowed to have a visitor in the hospital. And that was something that was so, so new in LA. Like everything had been locked down for so long before that. I was so lucky. And it really, to me, showed that we had turned a corner. And I don't know what the policies are now, but I can imagine they're not that. And that's that the baby is five weeks old. So, so much has changed in the last five weeks. And it is scary. I saw, um, I was just looking, I was looking at the New York Times before we started podcasting to see what have I missed and I saw um, they had done a story about Louisiana and Louisiana is in rough shape right now. And it was mm-hmm. saying that um, because they're in such rough shape and so much is happening, it's actually driving people to get vaccinated, that mm-hmm. the, the, the numbers are so high and so bad that the unvaccinated are maybe getting the memo. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. going to be true broadly. Uh, I hope that is the case. I also think that perhaps that I am 
so obviously not a doctor or scientist, but perhaps if this is something that is really going to be as contagious as it seems it's going to be, it rips through the unvaccinated quick and fast and furiously. And maybe that, that brings us through a heavy spike through the fall, but maybe that reaches some sort of herd immunity between Delta vaccinations and sort of how fast this is all moving. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Well, yeah. And here's what I'll say. You know, everybody, what everybody wants right now is kind of some kind of ground wire to reality that tells them what is going on, because it's so confusing. You know, I've been out and about in a kind of vacation area and I see, you know, this is not political in any way. It's just different kinds of people with different kinds of attitudes. You know, if they've been vaccinated, they think, well, I don't need to worry about it. Of course, I want them to worry a little bit about giving it to me and not giving it to my unvaccinated children totally. or my unvaccinated or my vaccinated grandmother who may be not, you know, um, more vulnerable to it. But I would recommend people go check out a column in The New York Times by Ezra Klein. And it's got a kind of a funky negative title. Is the future just a spike protein stamping on a human face forever? Uh, well, that makes you think that this article is going to be suggesting that it is. But in fact, it's like a, he talks to a bunch of scientists and uh, doctors, and it seems more like there's more hope for optimism than, you know, we don't want to give hope to people who are unvaccinated to the point where they don't get it. But they said he discusses how the Delta variant uh, first hit the UK and, and did sweep through. But what they what he also describes is what he calls the uh, vaccination wall. Eventually, as it's spreading through the population, it hits the vaccinated people and it slows down, and it affects those people less. And you know, we can hope that it, there maybe we doesn't doesn't have to spread like wildfire in places that have like you know a seventy percent vaccination rate. It can be slowed. So. If you're wondering what to think about it, I, w- I might go check out that article if I were you. That is something that I will definitely read. I, yeah. It's so tricky because we play the game in our house, like what would our attitude be if we didn't have a baby? Mm-hmm. Because the vaccines do work. If you look at this, the science, you look at the data, the vast, 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 vast majority of people who are vaccinated are not getting sick. Far and away, that is the case. And the people who, mostly the people who are getting breakthrough COVID are okay. They're not being hospitalized. Um, And so I think you want to go on and live your life and you don't want to live in fear of this virus. Mm -hmm. Uh, And really, this is something that people who are unvaccinated have to worry about. But it is very rare. There's, There's a small segment of the population who do not see or interact with people who are either unvaccinated like your children because they can't be vaccinated or because of a medical reason or who are vaccinated but are vulnerable. So uh, grandmothers are a perfect example of that. People with underlying health conditions are, are another example. So it's hard to think of someone who either is not one of those people or does not interact with one of those people. And I just... I don't think that I would stop my day-to-day life of eating outside at a restaurant or going to a store with a mask on. Like that is something that I would feel completely comfortable doing if not for a baby and even with a baby. But uh, I just, the other night I was awake in the middle of the night as I often am now. 
And I was thinking to myself, um, my throat was like a little tickly. I think I have allergies. And I was running through my head all the ways I could have possibly gotten COVID. And I truly think it would have been impossible. And I thought to myself, like, nothing is worth it. Nothing I could possibly do at this time is worth me getting COVID and then giving it to the baby. So um, it's just it's just an impossibility and it's just uh, an impossible thing to think about. And and I would just say exercise the judgment that you had been exercising over the last year. And it sucks to have to go back to that part in the brain. I really thought it was going to be a free love summer and just love freely with a mask on maybe. Well, that's right. And, and uh, you know, one's dashed hopes can't automatically lead to, I'm going to become uh, some sort of, uh, you know, angry resistor or something. You know, in, if your local um, city, if if San Francisco or New York or wherever you're uh, at, wants you to wear a mask indoors, just you know, bite the bullet and do it because this is uh, your. It's not just about you, and which is we've been saying this for a year, but it's true. Hey, did you one news story that I did see was our our friend of the podcast, Danny Meyer, really did it again, and it's amazing because he really is so. Uh, out front on so many things. And what I really am impressed by with him consistently is that he puts himself out there and he really says, uh, this, this feels like the right thing to do. And, um, I'm going to be the first person to do it. And then what ends up happening is a lot of people tend to follow. So this week he announced, or maybe it was last week, who knows, uh, that, no one who was unvaccinated could eat or work in his restaurants. And a bunch of businesses in New York City followed suit. And now the mayor seems to be following suit as well. And I think it's great. I think it's great. And, and and you see, like, I think Facebook and Google announced it this week or last week that, that employees would have to be vaccinated in order to work in the office. And I think a lot of offices are making similar declarations. And I think it's fantastic that they're doing this. It bums me out a little bit because uh, this is something that our government should be handling and they're passing the buck to the private sector. But I guess that's kind of what tends to happen. Well, to Biden's credit, he just did make a mandate that federal employees have to be vaccinated. Right. So he's sort of, he's setting a, an, at least an example there. And But, you know, politically, this is a very um, uncertain moment for the Biden administration, because it looked like we were headed towards, uh, you know, a victory here. And now we've got to contend with the setback. Um, the irony being that the setback is largely hitting Republican states and they're going to try to make a political football out of it and come after him, which is, you know, of course, ridiculous. But um, one thing I want to mention also that's pointed out in the Ezra Klein column that's interesting is that, you know, it is going to get to a point where it's more like the regular flu. There's always going to be a risk there, but it's going to be in the background. You know, the flu was always in the background. Mm. Um, so at some point we will have to, if we get the coronavirus suppressed to that level, uh, we'll just learn to live with it. There'll always be occasional people getting it. And yeah. uh, we have to kind of reorient ourselves towards what was our kind of risk quotient? What, how much risk are we willing to have on a kind of uh, across society and that, and how much do we accept and just live with? I don't think we're there now, 
but once we get vaccinations to a certain level, it's going to be there and it will, it will just be a part of life. Um, Uh, Can I make another political point that may be very cynical? I think it's deeply cynical. It is possible that if COVID continues on like this and then reaches the inevitability that you're talking about where it's sort of like being something that we constantly have to contend with but not die from, right? that we reach that point much closer to the midterm elections. Mm-hmm. And that may be beneficial to the Biden administration or to Democrats in general. I know that's a very cynical way of looking at a problem that is killing millions of people and is uh, ruining everyone's hot back summer. But uh-huh. uh, it is possible that the victory would have been way too early for the Dems if it had stopped in its tracks earlier this I summer. I see what you're saying. Yeah. If you are able to to push that victory much closer to uh, November of 22, and that victory is at the hands of the Biden administration and that trickles down to Democrats in Congress, perhaps that is a politically useful thing for Democrats. Though I don't think any Democrat is wishing this drags on, even if that's the outcome. Right. Well, um, there is a report on uh, on the Hive, on our very own Hive. Uh, you know, Bess Levin. We should give a shout out to Bess Levin, who's like the she's the great comedic voice of the Hive, and she really keeps us right on top of the news. Mm-hmm. And she does it with a a lot of style and flair and comedic voice. And um, but she was pointing out uh, in a piece about Barack Obama's uh, thwarted birthday. That uh, Senator John Kennedy, uh, the right-wing senator from, I want to say Mississippi, he claimed uh, uh, on Fox News, um, the single biggest thing that has undermined our efforts to make the American people understand we are in a fourth wave is President Obama's decision to hold a birthday bash. So <laughs> I only point that out because... Uh, to greet your cynicism, they will uh, have their own form of cynicism that is um, deep and abiding and has no connection with reality whatsoever. Totally. So it kind of doesn't even matter what the facts are on the ground. These guys will come up with anything. Of course, I don't think anybody really genuinely believes that Barack Obama having a birthday party is like hurting the country, but there you have it. I bet I bet you we could find some people who do, and I bet you we know what news <laughs> network they watch. Um, speaking of the hive... And speaking of Vanity Fair magazine, it would be remiss of me not to point out that there is a new issue on the horizon, the September issue already. And landing. don't you have a fantastic story in this issue? I do. It comes out next week. And uh, what I can say about it is that it involves the great state of Florida. And uh, you'll, you'll have to stay tuned, dear listener, to... Uh, read all about it and hear so, all about it. Should we do an episode just on your story? We're going to next week. In fact, I can now announce that Gabe Sherman, special correspondent, is going to come on also, and we're going to discuss the state of Florida, but also the state of MAGA, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, because there's fissures inside the MAGA world, even though we think of it as like a monolithic thing. Uh, there is a lot more going on there. And of course, Gabe Sherman always has the inside scoop. He does. I, I will say, things. I know from your 
reporting journeys that I was privy to, you talked to some incredible characters for this. You spent a lot of time with them. You crisscrossed the state of Florida in order to meet them, drive them, dine with them, observe them. Mm-hmm. So yes. I cannot wait to read the story. I cannot wait to hear the episode next week. I will say it's probably the only reason I want to read or hear the word MAGA, though. Don't you find that you just don't <laughs> yes. have any appetite for it? Well, a lot of people ask me, how could you cope with being around some of these people? And didn't your wife want to hose you down when you got home just or, you know, light some incense? You mm-hmm. know, Sage you. But it's sage. That was the, uh, the main word. Um, you know. <laughs> I'm a reporter and I love being parachuted into exotic lands, you know, to find out what the people are doing. It's anthropological and it's, um, you know, that's why we do what we do is because we enjoy, you know, finding out social mores of, uh, you know, even people that we may not agree with and may find uh, despicable. I should also point out that the article comes under the umbrella of this larger issue it's a special issue of Vanity Fair that's basically about, uh, it's called sort of turn of the century, right? It's under the umbrella of Y2K to 9-11. That's just looking back 20 years ago at the characters and the cultural events that ended up defining the 21st century. And Sean Combs is on the front because he's reinvented himself like, you know, half a dozen times and his current name is Love. <laughs> and he was an early influencer, speaking of that. And so... And there's something about Giuliani and his evolution or devolution, we should Mm. say. Um, So keep your eyes and ears out for the next episode. And and the issue issue in general, it's beautiful. Uh, There's some great articles. It's a great thing to bring with you to your your pool or your socially distanced beach outing. Uh, There's a lot of good juicy stuff and the photos are amazing in this issue. I'm really excited about them. Uh, Joe, Mm. are you reading anything good right now? I am. I was a huge fan of, and not everybody was, but you don't have to agree with me, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And as you may have noticed, he put out a novelization of totally. his book. <laughs> You're the second person who's told me about this now. My friend and Michael am, is also reading uh, it. I'm reading it and I'm loving it because it's all this backstory on the Brad Pitt character and it's just a lot of fun. It's very light. It's perfect for the beach. It feels like you're in the movie, basically. I mean, that sounds like such a treat. Is it very long? The movie is very long. It's longish, but it flies by because it's almost written like they novelized a script, right? So mm. it's a lot of dialogue and it's funny and um, and it's great. And it, what I love about it also, it's in the tradition of novelizations of movies, which were a thing in the seventies, really. Mm. And when I, and when I was growing up, I actually read like the novelization of Greece, right? Because I was really into Greece, and so there was one. There was a novelization of Greece, and just to you, sh- you know, you could go on eBay and find this, I'm sure. But the whole thing was written from the point of view of one of the T birds, one of the lesser T bird characters. Remember the Danny yeah. Zuko and the T bird? Yeah. Oh, when you said a novelization of yeah. Greece. For some reason, I thought you meant like the civilization of ancient Greece. And I was like, no. what was wrong with you as a child? This no. really speaks to me. Yeah. Not a sword and sandals uh, sort of thing. No, it was like a, uh, it was about the movie Greece. Oh. And uh, it, 
the whole beginning of the novelization was set during the summer before the movie actually wow. begins, you know, original summer loving. So you find out what actually happened during the summer loving time. So to me, that was cool. And it had a lot of pictures in it. And if you're a kid, say I was, I don't know, 10 years old and I was loving it. Uh, so this is a little bit like a wink at that, of course, because Quentin Tarantino is such a film nerd. I love so it's, that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know what I'm reading? What's that? I read a lot of articles of what you should be reading in summer of 2021 because I don't have actual time to read a book right now, but I read a lot about what I should be reading and I sort of drool over those because I, all I want is to get lost in a nice piece of fiction. And then I think about, uh, actually fitting that into my day and laugh out loud at, at myself for thinking that. Well, or you can just, uh, find something that you don't mind like falling asleep in the middle of, right. Or, uh, sure. you know, that you don't, it doesn't take a lot to remember what is going on. Lee says to me, I'll say to him before we go to sleep, I mean, go to sleep is like yeah. also laughable yeah, for term. a couple hours. I'll yeah. say to him, um, can you turn on something so I can fall asleep? Because I, I'm not tired. I can't fall asleep right now. And he's like, before mm-hmm. I press play, you are asleep. So wow. that's where we are. That's where you are. Well, you know, uh, my wife uh, has problems waking up in the middle of the night. She yes. has you know, issues sleeping, and her thing is to listen to audiobooks, and she'll just put an audiobook on and lie there until she fades away again, you know? Yes. Um, and then it's something that she can just sort of like, you know, go back to where she last remembered things were going on and just hit it. You know? That's a great thing because if you if – you, go to your phone or you turn on a TV or whatever it is. I think that the visual stimulation is the thing that keeps you awake, but having some sort of audio sort of lulls you back to sleep. I remember when I was a child, a terrible sleeping child, we used to have this little uh, tape, rec- like tape cassette. And my dad, my poor dad would lie with me. He would lie on the floor of my bedroom and we'd play the same sleepy time on Sesame Street tape every single night. And he would stay there until I fell asleep listening to that. But I think that there's something to just listening to these sounds without any kind of visual stimulation. It does help you go back to sleep. Right. Well, you're trying to get reading achieved as opposed to, but you also probably need some sleep. Um, I do. And I remember that phase of parenthood quite well. In fact, I have a vision in my mind whenever this comes up of my wife and I, this is within the first three days of having a baby. We would, uh, because we had to sit up with the baby, you know, we would sit back to back so that we wouldn't fall (laughs) over basically, you know, and just trying to like prop each other up. And it was sort of a, you know. What an amazing thing. And also very smart. Well, you know, you, it's a survival, it, it really, you're in a, you're in a survival stage. It's yes. all very primitive. Though I will say this week, this is week five and I feel like I've gotten out of the house by myself a few times or with my parents a few times. We're really lucky that we have help with a baby. And I feel like most people should acknowledge if you are very lucky to have that, that, uh, I feel like no one talks about these kinds of things on the internet anymore in real life anymore. And everyone makes having a baby seem really look so easy and it's not so easy. And what most people don't say is, or don't acknowledge is like the, the way that they get there. So I'm acknowledging the way that we got there, but I've gotten out of the house a few times this week and I started to feel like I went for a walk with my parents yesterday 
and just adults. And uh, I said, I feel like a closer version of myself this week. So let's keep that moving. Well, I, you know, what you mean by self is going to change through this process. And, um, you know, you're going to come out um, stronger and wiser. Uh, totally. For having uh, gone through all this and experienced this whole uh, phase. I hope so. I, I sure hope so. But I am loving, I really am loving it so much. And I'm so grateful for you giving me this phase to love it this much. And maybe next time I come back, JR will make her second debut on the podcast. Right now she is hopefully napping and she's just dying to come back. She loved her first time. She's She's a different baby. She's a whole new woman. Yeah. She's three pounds heavier. Mm. She has green eyes and she has lots of thoughts on current events. Well, that uh, is only all of these um, changes that you're noticing just in those five weeks. Now, extrapolate, extrapolate. It just becomes more and more kind of uh, amazing and uh, mind blowing. And of course, you know. We're we're older and down the line, but we're also changing. Sure, we're always changing, and sure. um, you know, uh, my That's hair got grayer. That's a reason to tune back in, right, Joe? You never know how, who we're going to be from week to week on Inside the Hive. All I know at this stage is that I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, well, three hours till cocktail hour. I'm on vacation, Ugh. and I know what I'll be doing at five o'clock. Well, bottoms up for you. Bottles up for me. <laughs> and bottles up for you. And that's where we are. Summer 2021. I think that if someone is going to listen to this podcast uh, as a time capsule, decades ahead, they're going to get a really good feel for the betwixt and between that we were all in. Our girls will listen to this as sort of a relic of, oh my God, mm-hmm. can you believe that podcasts were a thing? And they will hear this and they'll think, oh, I, I get where our parents were that, that summer. Yeah. Whether we'll be proud or not, we can't say, but we hope so. Unclear. <laughs> um, Emily Jane Fox, it has been delightful That's to see and hear you again. We will. I'll be back soon. And I, in the meantime, I will be listening and I cannot wait to hear next week's episode and the episodes beyond. For the rest of you out in podcast land. Enjoy your summer. Happy vacation. Wear your mask. Be careful, but be happy. And we'll see you on the flip side. And that's our show this week. I'd like to thank Emily Jane Fox, my co-host. I'd like to thank our producer, Brett Fuchs, the people at Cadence 13 who helped make this podcast possible. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. Come back to us next week. And the week after that, we're going to have great interviews. We're going to bring on correspondents from Vanity Fair and The Hive to discuss the issues of the day and plenty more. Please support our sponsors the way they support this podcast. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.